Amen. Yes, I echo the, the thankfulness that you all made it here. I, I felt like this morning Piglet was going to like blow by, if you guys are familiar with Winnie the Pooh. Like, we don't get that weather here a lot in Boise, so it's kind of fun. Uh, I don't dislike it when it comes periodically. I don't know if I would want that every single day. So we are in the second of a three-part series uh, that we started last time we were together, uh, that we are talking about the ways that we should be moved when we come face to face with the gospel and the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I mean, there are undoubtedly so many different ways that, that we should be impacted by the gospel, but these are three ways that we wanted to highlight and think about, and really, they should, our lives should be changed in how we worship and how we gather and how we witness. You know, first and foremost, we started last time we were all together two weeks ago, that we should be moved to worship our God because of what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. It's such a sweet and good thing. And we talked about this. We talked about how worship is our response in our attention, our affections, and our actions that rightly know, treasure, and joy, and are satisfied in God through Christ Jesus. And we talked about how, how that kind of worship really wells up and springs in our life from God's joy for our joy that he is bringing us into the beauty of the love and the joy that he has within the Trinity and is truly inviting us to have that kind of a relationship with him. And we talked about how worship is both internal and external. You know, internally, we worship when we worship God in truth. We worship when we are rooted in the essentials of our faith, and yet we still desire to grow beyond that, that we might worship exulting, worshiping in the particularities, the depths of the riches of our God. And we want to get to the place where we can worship with a deep and abiding joy and trust in God because of everything that we've seen him do in our lives continually. I mean, externally, that has very real ways that that shows up then. We worship where our God has us. We worship God in our diversity of different gifts and talents and ways that he has made us. We worship through singing, the way most of us think about it when we think about worship. Worship is not less than singing, but is definitely more. And we worship from the love of God to the love of others. You know, our worship of God grows as his Holy Spirit continues to work within our hearts that we, we might know him and love him more. And our worship and our love of God is meant to overflow not meant to be able to be contained. It's to overflow out of us that as we love God, we might also love others. And what we find as we, we pursue that path is that mission, whether it's local or global, exists because worship doesn't. Because there are people who don't yet worship our God the way that they should, that don't know the beauty of what he's done for them in Jesus Christ. You know, worship could easily be defined as our all-encompassing mission. Whatever God asks us to do, whatever it looks like in our workplace, in our neighborhood, with our families, we could draw a straight line through all of that to the idea of worshiping God in everything that we do. You know, as we mentioned last week, or last time we got together, there are two other aspects that we want to look at. You know, we should feel compelled, especially as we think about this last section, to witness to one another. Witness both to the people around us that we might not forget and, and that we might actually learn and grow and know more about what God is doing in each other's lives and witness and share with those who don't yet know Jesus Christ and know the beauty of what he's done for them. You know, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. 
And this week, we're going to look at our desire to gather. That should be one of the things that comes out of the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ is a desire to be with others who similarly know and love him. You know, in each of these three areas come forth out of our knowing God. You know, from our knowing the story of his love for us and our place in the story, from knowing God in Jesus Christ. You know, it seems appropriate that we're talking about gathering as we're moving into Thanksgiving week. You know, here we are where so many people, what they love about this holiday season from Thanksgiving to Christmas is the opportunity to get with others that they love and appreciate that they might enjoy each other, have a good time. You know, family, friends, neighbors, we enjoy when we get to sit together with others and and have a good time to enjoy each other's company. You know, we all know that, that being together has a power that being alone doesn't have. I mean, watching, watching a Sunday afternoon football game on my TV, especially after preaching, alone sounds really fun oftentimes, but it doesn't compare at all to being in a stadium with tens of thousands of people when that game-winning pass is finally caught in the touchdown and everyone erupts. We know that's markedly different, right? When I travel, when I used to travel for different business things or even for church things, I would consume calories because I need to live, right? But usually I would do it as I'm traveling from place to place or by myself or reading something or looking at my phone. That doesn't compare to the joy I have when I get to sit down to dinner with my family and pray with them, hear about their day, and just fellowship with one another. You know, when we finished Romans 12 a couple weeks ago, there was, we saw that God expects each of us individually to worship him. We saw that Romans 12 one says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And when we think about these different internal and external ways of worshiping, we can do those individually. Yet, especially as we get towards these external ones, we can start to see how we're not meant to have just a privatized individual life of worship. When we look at diversity, diversity is only diversity when we get to compare one another to the beauties and the ways that we love our God that are different than one another. You know, singing is beautiful because it has harmony and melody, different parts that can all come together that we can all sing as one. And moving from worship of God to love of other is always forcing us to think outside of ourselves, to think of the other, that we might engage them and care for them and show them our love for God. You know, it's interesting when we look at Scripture, how often we see God calling not just individuals, but a corporate group. Right? When we look at Abraham, the promises that Abraham receives in Genesis 15 and 17 are both for him, but also for his seed, for those that would come from him. God was calling a people out of Abraham. And when we go to see those people later on, when they're in Egypt, when Israel is in Egypt, and God is delivering them, he tells Moses to say this to them. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we forget when we continue on in that story and we see God actually appoint priests to the temple, the tabernacle that's in the wilderness, that that God is not just doing that, but in fact, he had a whole people that he wanted to be part of his priesthood, to worship him, to bring him praise and glory. In fact, when Jesus comes, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I will build my church, not just individuals, but a church, a gathering of people. And we just saw this in Romans 5, 8, where Paul told us that Jesus died for us, for all of us, Jew and Gentile. 
We see it in other places like 1 Thessalonians 5.10 and Ephesians 5.25 where Paul says that Jesus loved the church, this gathering of his people to give up his life for us. In fact, Jesus says that this kind of gathering will just happen. In fact, he tells us that for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. He just presumes this is what will happen. You know, even here at the outset of the sermon this morning, I want to ask you to think about how you think of your own expression of your walk with God. Do you think about it first and foremost privately, or do you think about it as a corporate thing? You know, my guess is when we talked about all these different aspects of worship last, last time we were together, most of us immediately were thinking about how it dealt with us individually. Right? When, we, when we talked about singing, you were probably thinking about the song you enjoy most, your favorite way of worshiping. You were likely not thinking about what would have blessed the person sitting next to you in singing. Now, when you were thinking about studying, when you're thinking about the truth, you're probably thinking about truths that really, really land home for you that you really enjoy and not necessarily the truths that maybe you're kind of past, you're not thinking about, maybe the ones that are hard for you that would be a blessing for others to hear and think about. You know, it seems easy to blame this on our American individualism, but I think it's, it's more likely just our sinful self-centeredness. We don't like to think outside of ourselves very much, especially when it comes to something that seems so personal, so close to us as our walk and our faith in God. You know, are you starting from a position this morning where you are thinking about worship and life and faith primarily individualistically? Or do you ever think about it having a corporate group bent to it? Are you willing, even, in thinking about that, to allow God to use this corporate group as part of that growth in your life as you worship him? I mean, this corporate reality, the gathering of God's people, is described again and again in Scripture. In Ephesians 2, we see one of the most beautiful things about what it means to have a corporate identity. You know, for through him, through Jesus, we both... Jews and Gentiles have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, Gentiles, you and me, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." We aren't just saved through the beauty of what Jesus did for us in his righteous life, his atoning death, his resurrection in power, and his very authority on the throne today, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We aren't just saved through that to an individualistic, personal walk with God. We are saved into a very people, a family, a citizenship. Peter, who had been reading the prophet Hosea clearly, says this in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, But you, Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hosea, when looking at his, the children that he had with the prostitute God told him to marry, he named them Lo-Ami, not my people, and Lo-Rumah, not having mercy. And now Peter says that is reversed in Jesus Christ. You are my people in Jesus, and you do have and have received mercy in Jesus. It is a people that God is building. 
And that, that image of our corporate belonging takes one of the most beautiful turns when we are told that in Jesus Christ, we are all beloved sons and daughters of God. So we saw in Romans 5, or excuse me, Romans 8, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. For so many of us, this idea of having a corporate belonging fills a deep hole that we have. Whether it was a desire to be loved and cared for by our parents in ways that we weren't, whether it's to feel like we belong to any group or just to be known by someone else, God is saying that is exactly what he is bringing us into, is a very people for his glory. And even though many of us love that idea, love knowing that we are part of something bigger than us, we oftentimes might think to ourselves, but do I have to be with them? Do I have to be with those people? <clears throat> I'm trying to be careful not to point my hands out at anywhere in this group. Because <laughs> we all have felt that, right? It's not just the people outside of our church gathering. Sometimes it's even the people here. It can be hard. People are messy. People have hurt us. People don't often or maybe even rarely do things the way that I would prefer it to be done. In fact, how much easier would it have been, especially on a morning like this with rain coming in sideways, to put on your favorite preacher on a YouTube video or through a podcast, turn on your favorite worship music in Spotify and worship that way, rather than getting in a car, driving several miles to a building that's not nearly as comfortable as your living room, hearing an okay preacher and being around other people that are not always as easy to be around. And we all understand that struggle. And we all have maybe felt it. You maybe even felt it this morning as you got out of bed. Do I really want to go and do a gathering this way today? It's been real for me at many different times in my life. You know, yet God continues to call us back again and again to gather to be a people together. In fact, the words that he uses in the New Testament and the Old Testament, ecclesia in the New Testament and hachal in the Old Testament, all just mean gathering when he talks about his people. We're the gathering, the group gathered. We are called to gather with one another. And in a very real way, this people, this gathering, is how we make God's people visible to the world around us today. And one of the most well-known verses on getting together, gathering, comes out of Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day is drawing near. Not neglect to meet together. I mean, the requirement that the writer of Hebrews is, is telling us we have to do is just assumed again and again throughout Scripture. I mean, 1 Corinthians 11 says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, or in 1 Corinthians 14, if therefore the whole church comes together. I mean, in fact, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 are Paul's assumption that we are going to gather, and therefore we need to know what it would look like when we get together. Things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. I mean, so much of what God has called us to do through Scripture, we can't do without gathering. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How do we teach each other? How do we admonish one another? How do we sing songs together without actually getting together? 
until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. How, how do we do that without being with one another? Or as we just saw in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we do any of these things? Reading the Word, stirring one another up to love, encouraging each other, looking at Scripture together without gathering. That's why I love, I love this, this quote, this quote here that, so when you sit down at the dinner table of corporate worship, you don't sit alone. Since salvation is corporate, worship is corporate. We don't often think that way. We don't often think that because God has called us to a corporate people, our worship expression so often should look corporate with others, not privatized and alone. And therefore, we think little of our corporate nature of gathering with one another. And we think very little of our corporate nature of worshiping God together in the variety of ways that we talked about a couple weeks ago. How our worship is unique to God as a people in the corporate aspect of belonging and our pursuit of him together with each other. In fact, so often when we talk about gathering, many of us want to ask the first question of, well, how big of a gathering do I really have to be in? (laughs) Right? Or, or rather, how much discomfort do I personally have to have <laughs> to fulfill what God is really asking of me? And it goes both ways. Some of, some of us, it sounds fantastic to be in a really big room like this, kind of hide in the back row, and then kind of skirt out through the side door before anyone can see us. And then for others of us, I'd rather meet with one to two, maybe three, five people max, but not have to be in a really big, crowded group. You know, it's true that many of the things that we have mentioned This teaching, this stirring up can happen in so many different ways. It can even happen in smaller groups. You know, we love all those types of gatherings that we have here at Rev that aren't this large group. You know, we we love and want to value one-on-one discipleship. You know, small groups of men and women meeting together regularly for accountability and growth. Gospel communities groups that regularly meet and love the diversity of medium-sized groups of people. And we love that we have events for men, women, youth, and children. Each of those serve a crucial aspect of our growth in the Lord. You know, they, they are beautiful ways that, that God in gathering us helps us to be sanctified and become more conformed to the image of Christ. And we could and will at some point through our time together have whole sermons on any one of those things. In fact, we would encourage you that, that if you are, are missing some of these things in your life on some sort of regular rhythm, not necessarily every month, but a regular rhythm in your life, You might be neglecting some of the ways that you could be sanctified and grown in the Lord through the gathering of his people. Yet this morning, what I want to do is trace the path that scripture seems to push us on most often. This path of the large gathering of God's people in a local body together. I mean, scripture seems to keep pushing us towards these large gatherings again and again. Even at the very beginning of the church, when we look at Acts 5, 12, we see that God's people are using the temple grounds because they have access to it still, and thousands of them gathering together in Jerusalem. You know, and when we start to look at the different images that God talks about for his, his people, his gathering, when we talk about being his outpost or his embassy, being his temple and being his body, all those images really make us think more about the larger gathering than the smaller gatherings. Now, granted, God's church survives in many different forms throughout history. In fact, there may be a day where we all need to meet in house churches to save ourselves from persecution, or maybe the only kind of spaces we're allowed, and God will be good and meet us there. 
But we should lament when that happens, that we can't be with a broader body of Christ. The things that we lose and miss out on by not having the beauty of a diverse and large group around us to edify us and encourage us. In fact, there's sort of a saying in culture that you guys probably heard before, the whole is more than the sum of the parts. And that seems to be true about Christianity as well. As we look at these passages, you should be thinking about that. That reality that when you look at yourself, when I look at myself, and I think about how, how I'm woefully inadequate as a worshiper, how I'm just not that great at engaging people in the ways that I would love to do that. And then I look at how God uses us when we gather as a people, how he can use us to equip and encourage one another. I can become a huge believer in the sum being more than the parts, especially for myself. And I hope you think that way as well. So this morning, I think one of the best ways for us to really ingrain in our hearts the beauty of gathering as God's people are to look at those three images. The images of being an outpost or an embassy of heaven, the image of being the very temple of God, and being his body. And we're going to start with this idea of being an outpost or an embassy of heaven. And we have all these verses that make statements like this. They say, to those who are elect exiles... You are fellow citizens. You are a holy nation. We are ambassadors for Christ. And when we look at scripture, we see so many places that talk about how we are not really of this world, John 17, 16. You know, as God's people, under part of his, uh, we are part of his holy nation, citizens of his kingdom, and we are under his kingly rule. Much of scripture reminds us that we are not currently in our final place. We are in exile because of sin and awaiting God's plan to be unfolded that we might be brought back into his kingdom fully. And as such, we are ambassadors here. We are to point others to to what life looks like with him. That's why we don't just use the word of an embassy, but the idea of outpost. I mean, because when you think of embassy, you might think this kind kind of nameless gray building with a flag out front of it if you've ever been to a foreign country or New York and you've seen the different embassies. Rather, this is meant to be more of an outpost. This idea of sort of like Disneyland, when you move through the different places, you have different kinds of things going on. So you've got the Southern section, you've got Frontierland, and you've got the Star Wars section. And it'd be really weird to see a stormtrooper in Frontierland, right? We are meant to be one of those kind of places where people come and get a sense of what heaven is going to be like someday. And because of that, there's several implications for us as God's gathered people. First, we gather as ambassadors, not consumers. We don't come here just to consume something when we get together with one another. We are ambassadors. Every one of us has a job to do. This is not the Ryan show. This is not the elder and staff show. Every single person here has a job to do when we get together that we might rightly express the kingdom of heaven to each other each and every time that we gather. And that means we don't gather to worship. We worship because we are the gathered, right? There's an identity question here. When we get together, we worship because we are God's people. That's what God's people do. We don't just get together so we can worship, the beauty that comes out of knowing who we are in God in Christ Jesus and wanting to rightly demonstrate what we see echoed in the church all the way to eternity of what heaven is going to be like. And that means then that we have incumbent upon us just like a good embassy to exemplify the culture of heaven. We want people when they come in to truly see the very nature of God and everything that we're doing. 
We, we want them to see who he is, what he is promising, and what his people were meant to be as much as possible. This depends on us. But that also means then that we really want to do everything in submission to Scripture. It's the way that we know what our God has asked of us is to look at his very word as he tells us how that should play out day to day in our lives, how that should play out in our gatherings, how we encourage each other. And in doing so, we end up to declaring heaven's judgments and ways. I mean, that comes from a sermon, that comes through the songs we sing, that comes through how we encourage each other. We bring each other back to the very ways of heaven, the ways of God, and how he would have us be. Unless we forget then when we get together that we are an outpost, an embassy, we are evangelistic. What good is an ambassador who holds themselves up in their little embassy trying to recreate home and never engages with those outside? We are meant to be a place that is welcoming, draws others in, especially when we're together, that they might see and have a glimpse of what is awaiting for us in the new heavens and the new earth. Look what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says to us. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In this image of being an outpost, an embassy of heaven, uh, we get a glimpse of how God is using his people that a watching world might see our God represented in the ways and the very, very personhood of his people through our preaching, through the teaching, through our care of one another. That's how we give the world a very real glimpse of God when we gather and the beauty of God's salvation of a people, not just individuals for his glory. And the second major image that we come to, uh, you've probably heard often, is this idea that we are God's temple. Many of us, when we hear that phrase, we think of it very individualistically because you've probably had this verse used against you at one time or another, right? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, young little child? Stop it. Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. What you might not have realized is just three chapters earlier, Paul said this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? But rather, it should be translated like that, do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? And all my southern people give me an amen, amen, bring that y'all back. We need y'all, right? Otherwise, without the y'all, we think about this individualistically, Right? We see this happen in multiple other places, especially on this topic, which is so weird. Ephesians 2.22, in him, y'all are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Y'all yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Without that y'all, we think about this very individualistically. I'm the temple. I'm the place where God resides, which is true but we miss the beauty of the breadth of what is going on in the imagery here. And that idea that y'all, all of us, we all, are being built in the temple has some amazing ramification. God's dwelling place has a congregational shape. I need Andrew and Sam and Bren and Kyle. I need everyone in this room to rightly represent to me the very shape of the temple and the dwelling place of God. 
It is not just an individualistic exercise here. I need to care what is missing when those pieces aren't here on any given Sunday. And I need to care what might be missing from our general body by the people we have not yet evangelized to, who aren't yet here complimenting and bringing out that that varied picture of who God is and what he is doing. It also means y'all can't be anonymous right? If you are part of this temple together, if we are part of how God is building his very dwelling place, we can't just come and skirt out the back of the room and not be known by others. We need to engage each other. And I know all the extroverts are thinking, amen, I will do that with everyone today right after service. That is not what I'm telling you you need to do, especially if you're an introvert. But you know that it's true even if you are an introvert, that you need people to know you that you might be known, that you might love them, and that they might be able to love you. This also means because we are a temple that we have priestly work to do. We are called as God's priests to offer up praise and good works to his name. As Hebrews says, as we see in Hebrews 13, through him then let us continually offer up, through him Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good or to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I mean, that's the broad image of worship that we talked about last time, both the internal and the external, the ways that we are praising God with what we know and love and treasure and our affections for him, and what we do externally from where we work to our family to the words that we sing that come out of our mouth. And again, this leads to a topic that we saw in the last image, that the real work is not on the platform, but in the people, right? Just as God's ambassadors take responsibility to point one another and unbelievers to him, God's priests all offer up worship and sacrifices of praise and good works that others might worship him and love him. My job, the elder's job, the leader's jobs are to equip you that you might do that real work of the ministry. And last but not least is the image of the body. The very body of Christ is who we are, it is said. Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, And we're told God gave leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the saints might build up the body of Christ. And we often come to this image of God's body in Christ and think about the diversity. And that is one of the most beautiful things about the idea of the body of Christ is the diversity that it has. But we don't want to miss the other ramification is that that diversity is meant to bring about unity. So often when we think about diversity, we think about how it brings up arguments, not how it's meant to draw us together, not how it's meant to round us out, conform us more to the image of Christ, that we might love and care for one another better. As we said before, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 is all pointing us together towards the beauty of what should happen when we gather and that let all things be done for building up. It should be to build each other up that there's diversity. It should be to build one another up that there's different gifts, different talents, different ways of expressing our love for God. And that means that as the body of Christ, that our gathering should reflect and contribute to the church's unity. 
We we all come with preferences, ways that we want to do things, and it's good to talk about those, and we want people to feel like they're known and loved, yet we should preference what brings about unity and joy to, to us as a group, what values us together, not apart, what challenges us to value one another like our own body. And ultimately, that means that we gather to edify and to be edified. When we get together, we want to edify one another, and we can come expecting that God wants to help us be edified by those who come with their gifts, with the Holy Spirit working through them, that we might know and treasure God more. And when we realize that, we find ourselves valuing our time together, and surprisingly, valuing a little bit more when we actually do bump into each other and rub into one another, because we realize that's actually part of the goal. Part of the goal is that we might be edified, that we might be grown and changed. And that makes this last point so true about gathering. Our gathering is discipleship. Just getting together with one another is part of our discipleship, our growing in Christ Jesus. To neglect it is to neglect our own health, our own growth and sanctification, We bring the strengths and gifts that God has given us that others may learn and grow. And we truly are working together in this moment to grow and care for one another that we might all know and love God more. So why does God have us gather? First, it's because ours is not an individualistic faith. It's not just something that we do all on our own. We have been called to God to be part of his people, his very sons and daughters, and we are called to gather. And we gather in multiple different ways, really, really small one-on-one to smaller groups to mid-sized groups, but we don't neglect gathering as a large group of people, this body of Christ together in various ways and sizes, and especially corporately, we want to gather. I mean, something beautiful happens when the whole is together. We get to image the beauty of our God as ambassadors, as priests, and as those who are called to unify one another. And when we gather corporately, we see the beauty of this. We see the beauty of our ambassadorial role in pointing others to our God King through his embassy and his outpost. And we see the beauty of our priestly role in worshiping God through word and deed as his temple priests. And we see our unifying role in edifying and discipling one another into our roles in Christ's body. It's a beautiful opportunity when we gather And we could summarize these points as this. We could say that God gathers us unto his glory for our mutual good and before the world's gaze. Or to put it in nice rhyming words, God gathers us for exaltation, edification, and evangelism. Worship, mutual growth, and that watching world might see what's going on. The question this morning is where have you maybe been undervaluing the gathering of God's people? Where have you particularly maybe been undervaluing the corporate gathering of God's people? Sadly, when we neglect gathering together, we are neglecting one of God's amazing ways to help us see and know him better, to be drawn closer to his presence, and to be more conformed like Christ. And we neglect our sonship and daughterhood in relating to our fellow siblings. We reject and ignore our citizenship and our role as ambassadors We're forgetting the power of unity that comes through mutual care. That's one of the only ways God brings it about. 
You know, God gathers us for worship as priests in his temple. God gathers us for edification as body parts that serve one another. And God gathers us for evangelization that we might rightly represent him as his ambassadors. We need this kind of gathering more than we all think. We need it way more than we all think. And the beauty of what it can do for us. And in this gathering, these kind of gatherings, our body, people doing this across our great Treasure Valley, our city today, in all of its weakness, images the beauty of the reality that we are all hoping for. The beauty of a reality back together with our king in his kingdom, walking face to face with him and worshiping him fully in everything that we do. The beauty of a future with our God and his people forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, this morning as you come to communion, I want to encourage you, if you are here this morning and you are a believer, please take the bread, take the cup. They're in the back, they're on the side. You can get up during this next song and hold it. But think about the beauty of the very people of God that he, that he has brought us into. That, that what Jesus Christ was doing was not just for one person. Though he would have done it just for one but rather he was gathering to himself a very people of whom you and I, we are a part of. And we ignore that to our own detriment in our growth and love of God. This morning, I want us to think about the people of God that Christ bought in his work on the cross. And would you pray with me? Father, so often we, we can stop thinking about the beauty of, of the breadth of your people and just focus on ourselves, Lord God. It is definitely a both and. But God, in a culture that is moving so much away from the beauty of corporate gathering to privatized and digitized worship, Lord, would you help us to see the value of being a part of your people, of knowing and loving what you know and love, and seeing how in being a part of this together, we might rightly live out what you've called us to and rightly grow in the ways that you've called us to. Would we treasure in Jesus Christ all that was bought in the breaking of his body and in the, the pouring out of his blood for us? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.